Thank you, ladies. Let's uh, bow together and pray as we begin this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have as we gather here today. Lord, we're mindful of what's going on in our world. We're mindful of what's happening in our community. Many who are suffering with uh, the virus, many that are faced with uh, fear of the virus and, and uh, the task of staying healthy. So, Lord, we, we turn to you as we always should, as we should have never looked any other way anyway. But Father, we pray that you would give us a calm assurance and that we would trust in you greater than we trust in masks or doctors or ma- uh, mandates or anything such as that. That, Father, our, our faith, our hope, our trust would be in the Lord Jesus alone. Uh, give us a sound mind, common sense to do the right things. Father, this morning, as we, these minutes that we open your word together, we ask that you give us understanding, Lord, that our, our heart would be strengthened as we think of what Jesus Christ has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. We have been looking over the last uh, few weeks, uh, the last couple of weeks, on the, focusing upon the gospel. We've talked about the heart of the gospel, and that is grace, God's unmerited favor. We've talked about the hallway to the gospel. The access to this good news is faith. For by grace, through faith, are you saved. Well, this morning I want us to focus upon the handiwork of the gospel the handiwork of the gospel. Now, there are many graces that we could mention that would fall in the category of the handiwork. And I'm going to focus on a major one, or the one that we find in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Read with me in the scripture, if you will, beginning at verse 1. Read along with me in your mind. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In those two verses, you can find a number of uh, byproducts of being justified by faith, if you want to call it that, or handiwork of the gospel. But I want to take the first one. Verse 1 enumerates... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I heard about a church that had a sign out front, and uh, you change the message on the sign different times, and this particular sign on a busy street said this, If life is a puzzle for you, look here for the missing piece. And peace was spelled P-E-A-C-E. Do we have a message of peace with God? What is Paul talking about here in this passage? Is he talking about a calmness? Is he talking about a tranquility of life? Or is he talking about something between man and God? Let us look at the handiwork of the gospel. Paul says, therefore, 
Well, that takes us back to what he said in the first four chapters. And so there's a lot here, even though it's one simple verse, a lot for us to grasp. So I want to break it down into three divisions. I hope it'll be simple enough that we can take it home with us and understand it better and maybe even share it with someone else that needs to hear this message of the handiwork of God's good news of the gospel. First, I see the condition that Paul is speaking about. He says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, well, it points us back to the first four chapters where Paul has laid the foundation of the gospel. Where Paul has made it clear, chapter 4, you can't, you can't miss it. He says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Well, he's talking about faith-based righteousness, not works-based righteousness. But then at the conclusion of chapter 4, in verses 24 and 25, and in particular 25, I want you to see that, that Paul here gives us the entire redemptive plan of God in one verse. Verse 24, it shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus from our Lord, uh, Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. In that verse alone, verse 25 of Romans chapter 4, you have God's entire redemptive plan. Jesus was delivered for our offenses and He was raised for our justification. So when Paul is saying in verse 1, therefore, he's pointing back to that. That sums up all of the first four chapters. God's redemptive plan, God's salvation in the person of Christ that was delivered for our sins and then raised for our justification. We could uh, understand that He was raised because of our justification, meaning it was necessary on God's part. Death was necessary and the resurrection was proof that God was pleased with the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the condition that Paul is speaking about in the first few words of verse 1, therefore, pointing us back to God's redemptive plan, God's redemptive activity, therefore, having been justified, therefore, or you may find a translation that says, we have been justified. Let's look at this condition that Paul is describing here and recognize about three truths. One, it's a standing, not a state. When he says, we have been, he's talking about a standing of what? Justification. We'll get to that word in a minute. But he says, we have been, not, not we will be, there's an assurance here. By the way, if you love the doctrine of eternal security, Romans chapter 5 is a chapter on security, and in particular this very first verse. He's not talking about something that's, that, that's fluid. 
He's not talking about a state that you can enter into and enter out of. He's talking about a standing that is once and for all. He says, having been justified. Since we have been justified. Has that happened in your life? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and been justified? Or God declared you righteous? We'll get to that in a moment. But it's a standing, not a state. The, the verb here, having been justified, it, it, it's a verb that is in, it's in the passive voice, meaning it's not something you do, it's passive. It, it's something done to the believer. Having been justified, having been. Uh, it, it's, in the, it's in the passive voice and it's in the aorist tense, uh, which, which happens to mean uh, that, that it's... Um, it's not a not a uh, hope. It's not something that's uh, that's there. There's a confidence, having been justified, to be made righteous. Fifteen times in Romans, Paul uses this word. And of course, with the verb uh, having been, he's he's describing that standing before God. Uh, it's an action. The aorist tense meaning it's an action that has happened. It's not something yet to be. It has happened. So we could, instead of saying therefore, we could say since we have been, what? Justified. There was a confidence that Paul is speaking about here. And, and, and every believer ought to have that confidence. Every Christian can have that confidence. That's what Paul is saying. Since, going back to all that's been said in the first four chapters... We have been, it is a, a declaration, not just a standing, but a declaration. We have been justified. It's not a development. A declaration, not a development. Folks, this is something, here's the security, this is something that is irrevocable. You, you look, it's a legal declaration, you look in the Scripture, you'll find that it says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He doesn't take back. And so he declares righteous. He declares the believing sinner righteous. Fifteen times in this Romans letter, we find that phrase, justified, justified. What does it mean? Again, it's a legal term. To declare righteous. How does God declare a sinner righteous? Well, there has to be someone that has done the work of justification. Someone that has paid the penalty for justification. That's what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. When all of our sin and the, the wrath of God for our sin was placed and poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He did the work of justification. And so what Paul is speaking about here when he's describing this condition of justified, he's describing a declaration, not a development, that over a progress or a process of time you become justified. It's when the believing sinner trusts Christ, he's justified. And it's all about belief or faith. Look at the last or second, next two words in verse uh, 1. Having been justified by faith. 
We spent time last week talking about faith and what is faith, looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, having been justified, it's believe, not behave. It's believe, not behave. Now, because you believe, Lord grants you the Holy Spirit of God that enables you to behave. But don't think, though, okay, I, I don't have to behave. That's not what the Bible teaches. But it's believe. A hundred times in John's gospel, when he describes a sinner being saved, it's, it's believe, it's trust, it's reliance upon. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Faith, trust. A person can know that he's justified by faith and he can know as we'll see, the handiwork of that faith, that, that, uh, rather that good news of the gospel, is what's coming next. And so, the condition that Paul is speaking of here, that first phrase in verse 1, having been justified by faith. Let me pause and ask you, can you say with certainty that you've been justified by faith? Are you a believer I don't mean that you just walk around and claim to say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm a believer. I believe there's a God. I believe the Bible says the devils, the demons even believe that. Are you confidently relying upon Jesus as your only hope of righteousness before a holy, just God? He declares you justified as though you had never sinned or ever will sin. That doesn't give you a license to go out and live however you want. If anything, it insulates you so that you won't do that. Have you been justified? Do you understand that He declares you righteous in the person and the work of Jesus? So that's the condition. Therefore, or since... We have been justified by faith. What's the handiwork of that? What's the, what's the, I call this the conciliation. We see the condition. Look at the conciliation that Paul speaks about. Conciliation is the action of stopping someone from being angry. We, uh, we, we speak of somebody speaking in a conciliatory tone. They're trying to bring the peace. They're trying to, uh, to make things good, you know, uh, calm down the anger and such. Well, the Lord Jesus is our conciliatory. There is conciliation in the work of Christ. He appeased the anger of a holy God. He says in that verse, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have Peace with God. I want you to understand, the Bible speaks about the peace of God. A lot of people hear, read this verse and they think, Oh, well, then I've got tranquility of life. I should never have struggles in life. I should go around and, and, and I walk on the flowery petals of ease in life and, and, and I'm always at peace. That's, that's, that's not what he's speaking of. There is the peace of God that's mentioned in Philippians 4. Let me contrast the two. Uh, peace with God, Romans 5, 1, and the peace of God, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
What, what are the differences? Well, the peace with God speaks of relationship. Peace with God is speaking about a relationship, whereas the peace of God is speaking about fellowship. Peace with God is the need of every lost sinner. Peace of God is the need of every believing sinner or every saint, every redeemed child of God. Peace with God takes us to heaven. The peace of God brings heaven to us. Peace with God comes at conversion. When you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved You have peace with God. You don't work your way to it and get some higher level and there all of a sudden you have... It's there the moment you believe. There's peace with God. The peace of God comes through discipleship. That's why it's so important. It's moment by moment. I've experienced the peace of God at times in the past week. A lot of times I didn't. True for you as well, right? Life's full of stress. But contrast the two. He's not talking about the peace of God. That's Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Let the peace of God that passes understanding permeate your mind. Philippians 4. Don't be anxious. But here he's talking about peace with God. The conciliation. Something has happened in in the death of Jesus Christ. What is it? We have peace. That's a fact, not a feeling. Look how he's describing it here. It's a declarative statement. Not we will eventually obtain peace. He says we have peace. The verb have is in the present tense, meaning it has ongoing results. It doesn't mean, oh, I had peace you know, when I was a nine-year-old boy and I was saved. Then I had peace, but now I've lost it. See, again, security. We have. It's ongoing. It's active. And, and, and the tent, it's present active indicative is a tense uh, in the Greek language. And so it's telling us, what it's telling us here is that this is something that is continual. And it's for you. We have peace. It's objective, not subjective. You subject yourself to peace and you, you know, and you clear your mind or you go to a beautiful beachside setting somewhere and therefore you, have, you, get, you subject yourself and have the feelings of peace. No, this is objective. In other words, the object of peace with God comes through being justified by faith. To have peace with God means something. What does it mean then? I have peace with God. You see, you talk to most people in the world today, they'll tell you, oh, God's a God of love and he, he's, he's just loving and uh, He strokes us and uh, you know, he, he, just, he never frowns upon us. Do you know what the Bible teaches? It teaches that we were enemies with God. We were at enmity. Look at Romans 5 verse 10. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We were enemies. Go back to chapter 3. It talks of the same thing there. uh, That that we were were sinners separated from God. We were enemies. 
Back to chapter 5, again, he, God demonstrated His love for us, toward us, while we were sinners, we were enemies. Enemies. What does this teach me? To have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God in which all the hostility towards sin has been removed. John MacArthur uh, speaks about this hostility. And he says this, What's the opposite of peace? War. Now Christ has dramatically changed our relationship to God, and that's what this passage is talking about. We were at war, as it were. God was our enemy, and we were His enemy. But because of justification by faith, we've been brought into a relationship of peace, real peace. So when he says, we have peace, recognize where you were before justification, before being saved, before believing Jesus died in your stead, in your place, as your substitute on the cross of Calvary. He is our conciliatory. The conciliation is that He has made peace. The war ended when God poured out on the person of Jesus Christ all of the wrath for our sin, all of His wrath for our sin. And when we believe that, we are declared righteous and we have peace. Hallelujah. We have peace with God. Not necessarily with man. Hopefully that will be a byproduct of the peace of God in our life. But he's talking about peace with God. Now some people will argue and say, I was nine years old. I wasn't at war with God. Listen to me. But he was at war with you. That's how much God hates sin. So we don't, we don't like that concept because we want to believe Oprah's version of God, don't we? Oh, he's just loving God. He's a universal God that'll he'll save everybody. He's not going to send anyone to hell. Well, the Bible says the hell was created for the devil and his angels and all who believe the devil's lie. Jesus said to the, to the, to the Pharisees, if you don't believe in me, you'll die. You're of your father, the devil. You'll, you're yet in your sins. You'll die and spend eternity in hell. But God has done something for you in that Jesus became your conciliatory. He, he took your place, your substitute. And you can say, since I've been justified by faith, I have peace with God. We have peace. We're at rest. God's at rest. We're not trying to get that peace. I hear a lot of people, their doctors tell their terminally ill patients, go home and make peace with your maker. You can't make peace with God any more than you can make the wind blow or the rain fall. God made peace through the work of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Let me, let me add to that as well. It's peace, not what He's doing now, but what he did, what's he doing now? He's our mediator, our intercessor. Some want to believe that, well, we have peace because he's in heaven praying for us and, and all that. Look, the, all the majesty of God's holiness and his righteous throne, all of that was satisfied when Jesus Christ said on the cross, It 
is finished. The work of redemption, the work of justification was complete. All we have to do is believe. It is the hallway. It is the conduit. It is the appropriation of what He's done for us. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. He is our peace. But it's His past work at Calvary, not His present work of intercession, the work at Calvary, the conciliation, the condition. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. That last phrase is the cause. How did all this happen? I've already said it multiple times, but how did it happen? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It happened through Him. This kind of peace with God where the war ends is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through you. It's not through the church doing something on your behalf. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. The finished work of the cross, the redemptive activity, the perfect work of Jesus Christ. He was raised, verse 25 of chapter 4 says, because of our justification. In other words, basically he's saying all that was necessary on God's part was done and the resurrection, the resurrection is proof God is appeased. God is satisfied. All of His vengeance, all of His anger, all of His wrath, all of His fury was found upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. He took my place. He took your place. What this world needs today in an ever-confusing world that we live in is to know that they can have peace with God. How? Through Our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through the waters of baptism. Not through walking an aisle. Not through praying a little prayer. Not through joining a church. But through the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. The word through is a preposition that means on account of. Everything about this peace is on account of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not you, my friend. Not not your preacher. Not your deacon. Not your teacher. You, it's on account of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything that is ours is because of Jesus Christ, not ourselves. He made peace. He made peace with God for us. And he closes out with a, Paul delighted in the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah, Christ. He's God, Lord, and He's ours, Paul said. Through Him, we've been ushered into the presence of holy God. He is our peace. He is the cause. A few years ago, Amy and I had the privilege and joy in our life. I think it was a, a celebration of our anniversary uh, at a later, I mean, after the anniversary date. But um, we went to Hawaii. Many of you have done the same. And the highlight of going there is to go to Pearl Harbor. So much. Amy's daddy was a World War II veteran. 
And there's so much that's, that you think about that was accomplished after such tragic events. One part of that tour of Pearl Harbor, we stood on the deck of the USS Missouri. That's the ship where they signed General Douglas MacArthur and, and the representatives of nine allied nations, as well as Japanese General Yushiro Umesa. They signed, I may have butchered his name, they signed Japanese, Japan's unconditional surrender, meaning that the war was over. Thank the Lord for that. We've got much we could say about World War II and such, but I want to tell you something. Far greater than that, I stand today at the foot of the cross by faith, and I look and see a Savior who has made peace. The war is over. For you, for me, for every believing sinner, would you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say that by faith? Therefore, having been justified by faith, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Can you with certainty and surety say that today? Don't trust in some religious action. Don't trust in some rite such as baptism or symbol. Don't trust in what maybe somebody else told you you ought to be or do. Are you certain today that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word that gives us such calm assurance and security in this age of doubt, dissension. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our peace, that he made peace through the blood of his cross. And how we pray today, Heavenly Father, that if there's somebody listening or watching this later by video or in some way or another, they hear this gospel, this good news that Jesus took their place. Can they recognize and believe today upon Him for salvation? Recognize that He made peace with you, Father. Oh, that we would rejoice and that we would live such a life that would bring glory to the name of the One who has redeemed us. May we live near to your heart because of what Christ has done in bringing the peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.